It's time to take a look around the NFL with our weekly visit from John McClain here on Raider Nation Radio 920. And John McClain joins us now on the phone lines to talk all things NFL. And, John, we appreciate you as always. Today, the whole league had to be cut down to 80 players, which is obviously not the big massive number. That'll be next week when they get down to 53 men. But, John, at this point of the game, how close do you think the the coaches and the staffs know who their final 53 are going to be? They'll never mention it, but the fact is they've had these players through the off-season programs, through OTAs. They've seen them in meetings. They've seen them behind the scenes and walkthroughs. They know what they're capable of mentally. And in a very rare instance, when maybe two guys are pretty equal, do they need to see them one more time? But in most cases, if you're coaches, and your personnel guys, and after watching these guys so closely and evaluating them so often, if you don't know who's going to make the team, you're not very good at your job. So this week for the Raiders on Friday is, we, is their fourth preseason game, but for the rest of the league, including the Patriots, it's their third preseason. Do you think they'll treat it like a, you know, the traditional dress rehearsal, or do you think they'll just treat it as whatever because they're having joint practices this week? A lot of those coaches love joint practices and think those should be more joint practices and fewer, if any, preseason game. I know coaches who like to eliminate preseason games and just have more joint practices because players stay in great shape today and the facilities are awesome. They give them three meals a day. They give them everything you can want to get them get to try to convince them to spend as much time as possible at the facilities, but. I have no idea what McDaniel's going to do. You know, he's had the benefit of the fourth preseason game. It, it, he's already had three. It wouldn't surprise me if he didn't play his starters and handle it the way they did when they had four. Why don't more teams do joint practices or do more of them if, if, they, if the coaches enjoy them so much? I don't know. You see a lot of fights. That doesn't accomplish anything. I've been with the Texans in New Orleans. They had to cancel them early because of fights. I was with the Texans in Richmond, Virginia, against Washington. They had to quit early because of fights. And um, I remember here, Bill O'Brien, he was just adamant about not fighting. And if you did, there would be hell to pay. And I remember being around coaches when I covered the Oilers, like Jerry Glanville, Buddy Ryan, they love fighting. They thought it toughened up players. And I'm not talking about when they had their helmets on. I'm talking about <laughs> when they had their helmets off. It was like watching MMA. <laughs> I bet. I, I can only imagine what they used to do back in the day. Again, we're talking all things NFL with John McClain here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. My man DeMond's got one for you. Yeah, John, when it comes to these joint practices, and you said you don't know why more teams don't have them, and when it comes to cuts, the teams know who they're going to cut. But is there a certain instance that maybe you can remember that in a joint practice or even a final preseason game that someone, hey, the coaches told me he made the team with that final performance? Well, DeMond, coaches will say that. Coaches want, they want to get the intensity that they want. And coaches do want to win. You know, it's not a priority for them. But if they win the game, they're not all obsessed with winning preseason games like Baltimore is. But uh, So they're going to always act like 
every preseason game is a life, life and death for backup players and players trying to make 53. And remember, you know, practice squads are so, so big today. If you don't make the 53, odds are if you're not on your team's practice squad, you're going to be somewhere else. And if you're not, you are not highly thought of at all. John, earlier this week, uh, Matt Rule named Baker Mayfield the starting quarterback in Carolina. No big surprise. They traded for him, so you knew that he was going to be the guy. But now that it's official, what do you think What do you think Baker does in Carolina with Matt Rule in a very important year? I believe this, too. He's motivated for a new contract. He's motivated because he wants to prove to the Browns they made a mistake. He wants to stick it to a lot of the media in Cleveland that he didn't like because of the things they wrote and broadcast about him. And as long as Christian McCaffrey is healthy, and that's been seldom last couple of years, but you guys know he's a great two-way back, and I'm assuming he's going to be healthy for the first game against the Browns, it wouldn't surprise me if the Panthers didn't pull off the upset. Yeah, John, with the low block that happened on Kayvon Thibodeau early in the preseason, is that a play that you thought was maybe dirty or should be taken out of the game, or is it just football and that's just what happens? No, I don't think anybody should be blocked at their knees. You can hit them in the feet, you can hit them in the waist, you can hit them in the chest. But, man, if you were to ask a player, and I've done this with a lot of former players, if you said, do you want to get hit in the head? Or do you want to get hit in the knees? They will all tell you head every time. Talking right now with John McClain here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. We mentioned Baker Mayfield, the guy who replaced him in Cleveland, Deshaun Watson. We now know 11 games, $5 million is the fine and the suspension. Do you think that that was a good suspension? What, do you, what did you think when you saw that? Well, if they weren't going to do it for the season, I'm glad they did it for 11 because that means his first game is going to be in Houston. <laughs> against his former team, which I think the league did on purpose just to make him a little more uncomfortable. I'm sure there'll be chants, there'll be booing, there'll be women's groups protesting outside NRG Stadium. It'll be a circus. Deshaun has never had anything negative written or broadcast about him before this. He was great in middle school, great in high school, great in college, great for the Texans for 2020. And so you don't know how he's going to respond. Can he compartmentalize the criticism and everything that goes with his suspension, or is it going to be in the back of his mind? And that's something we'll never know until we actually see him. I think we'll see the best of him in 2023. When he comes back and plays against the Texans, he can go back to meetings October 10th and can't start practice till. November, I can't remember what it is, which gives him two or three weeks to prepare. But he will not have played since 2020. It's going to be like 704 days mm. since he's played. And every game's in December. Naturally, he leaves Houston. Every game will be outdoors. And the weather may be worst of all with his two, two home games in Cleveland where the weather is awful because the stadium is on Lake Erie. What do you think the Browns do in the meantime, in between time? Do they roll with Jacoby Brissett, or do they bring someone else in? No, they're going with Brissett. they got a great running game. They need to make sure Nick Chubb stays healthy. they got a great defense. So I could see them going 6-5 and five with Brissett. They have an easy early schedule, then it gets tougher. 
and Brazil's a manager. He's been a starter in New England, starter in Indy. He knows his role. He doesn't try to do things he can't do. They better hope that he stays healthy. Let's talk about them signing Cam Newton, not trading for Garoppolo, but signing Newton as the backup instead of Joshua Dobbs. That makes a little bit of sense. Talking again with John McClain here on Radio Nation Radio 920 on Necessary Roughness. Go ahead, Devon. All right, John. Now, the Baltimore Ravens, you said that they are really concerned about winning preseason games. They haven't lost one in years. That's all they do. That's all they do. (laughs) But how concerned should they be about getting Lamar Jackson a new contract? Because reports are saying they're offering him around that Kyler Murray range, and he's saying, no, thank you. Give me Deshaun Watson money. He wants that $230 million guaranteed. I don't blame him. Mm -hmm. More power to him if he can get it. But he has no choice. After his contract expires, they'll franchise him two years in a row. So I think if if I'm a quarterback, instead of trying to say I want the most ever, I'm going to say I can deal with $150 million guaranteed against skill and injury. I think I can live with that. Yeah, but we can't blame this on his agent, that's for sure. <laughs> that's true. That's the truth right there. And I'm, I'm with you, John. If I'm Lamar Jackson, I'd want it fully guaranteed as well. I don't know if it has to be as much as Deshaun, but – he has no track record off the off the field. I would definitely say, hey, man, <laughs> I need to be guaranteed like that guy because I've been a model citizen, and, oh, by the way, I'm a former league MVP as well. I think he said you don't need an agent to get more than – you don't need an agent to ask for more than Watson. <laughs> All right, John, with everything that's going around the league, I want to get your take on this. Cliff Kingsbury, is he going to try to outsmart and try to teach Kyler Murray a lesson himself out of a job? <laughs> No, because Kingsbury's job's on the line, and if he wants to survive, he's got to make sure Murray is playing his best. Now, he's the reason Murray was there. Nobody else would have drafted Murray first overall, but Kingsbury did because he coached against him in the Big 12. So I think whatever Kingsbury believes should be done with Murray, that's what will be done. I like the fact he let him call plays in preseason. I think that was good for Good for Kyler Murray, but also good for critics that were blasting Murray after they foolishly put that clause in his contract about watching game film. What do you think about the quarterback situation in Pittsburgh? Does Kenny Pickett start the season, or do you think that's a Mitchell Trubisky thing at first? I believe out of respect for a veteran that they signed with the idea of being the starter for a while, I believe they'll acquiesce and they'll go ahead and make Trubisky the starter. But if he struggles, you know, it's only a matter of time before Picky. Pickett's in there, only number one pick from Pitt. You know, people don't realize the Pitt and Steelers facilities are connected. Right. There's one entrance for the Steelers and one for the Panthers. And he said publicly many times he would stand outside and dream about going through that Steelers entrance. And so the fans love him. The media loves him. The teammates love him. It is only a matter of time, and Trubisky knows it. Final question for you, John, is uh, about another quarterback situation in Seattle. Pete Carroll, he's not comfortable yet naming his quarterback. Drew Locke, Geno Smith, who do you think gets the nod there? Well, I wouldn't be comfortable naming one of those guys either. <laughs> you know, maybe they should rotate him. I still, they were interested in Watson, and Watson's people told them early on, no thanks, he's not interested and moving across the country to the Pacific Northwest. But for whatever reason, they don't think uh, Garoppolo's worth trading for 
or maybe the 49ers are driving too hard to bargain, but they're loaded with skill positions. Great receivers, good tight end, two running backs, two new offensive linemen, including the number one pick. They've got it going on offensively, and then they're going to have Geno Smith and Drew Locke at quarterback. I'm guessing it'll be Geno to start the season with Locke coming in shortly. Man, seems like such a waste with either one of those guys behind center. Uh, after you rolled out everything that they have going for them, they have to settle for one of those two dudes. Well, there it is. John, uh, we appreciate you as always. What you got working on these days that uh, we need to be on the lookout for? This time next week, I'm going to be able to tell nice. you guys my new venture in which I'll be working, writing three columns a week and doing two podcasts. And it will be free, 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 no paywall. That's what I'm talking about. If it ain't free, it ain't me, John. I love that. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. Q and DeMond, thank you very much. I love being on with you guys, and I will talk to you next week. Absolutely, and we'll find out the big announcement. There he goes. John McClain will find out his new location next week at this time. Very excited about that. Good dude right there. That's an A1 dude. Again, John McClain. You can find him on Twitter, at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. 3.14 is the time. Come back, get to some of your calls and texts. 702-365-9200 Sam and Ash text line is 69187. Keyword is R&R. This is Red Nation Radio 920. It's Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Demond pointed out a good, uh, a good little nugget. RC, Ryan Clark, Fred Taylor, their, uh, their podcast, the Pivot Podcast with Devontae Adams, one that they recorded, what was it, last week when they were here? Was it last week, Devon? Yeah, it was last week, but it feels like it's been longer. Hey, man, I'll tell you right now, me and Tashawn Reed were talking about this today in the media room that I know that we're not out there working at all. We're not running. We're not lifting. We're not doing anything. But, man, I could tell that this training camp has been four weeks long. Like, I don't know what the day is half the time. And Tashawn was saying the same thing. He said, man, I feel every minute of this uh, training camp. Like, this has been a really long camp with the Raiders having an extra week because of the Hall of Fame game. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of teams wrapped up training camp. Yes, or last week, at the end of last week. So the Raiders have this final week, and they'll have their final preseason game on Friday. But, man, this, this week or this uh, training camp has seemed very long. Um, not mad at it. You know, it's great to be busy. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure the players are super excited to get out of training camp as soon as this thing gets wrapped up. Really, tomorrow. I mean, for the most part, DeMond, we always talk about, hey, when are you going to be in studio? When are you not going to be in studio? Tomorrow's really the last day of training camp that we're going to be able to see. After that, it's going to be all, you know, 10 minutes of stretching here, 10 minutes of stretching there, and then you're out of there. So it's not going to be a whole lot after, after tomorrow. So uh, your, your, your dreams and aspirations of me being back in studio on the regular are right around the corner. They're coming down the train, man. They're coming down the train tracks. You sound like you miss it already. <laughs> you already reminiscing about, man, it was fun. I, mean, I don't know why I was complaining about the heat. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's definitely a lot of fun being out there, and it's, it's pretty convenient to be able to roll out of practice and you know, head to the house and, and hop on and do the show with you. But uh, I, I prefer to be in studio all the time. It's just with the timing, and I'm not trying to be flying up and down 215, so that's not, that's not uh, the scenario. Now, the only thing that will play a little bit of a factor is when we have media sessions and depending on who we're going to talk to. And so days that Josh McDaniels talks and the way he does his, depending on what time practice is, it's going to sound like it's going to be really early. So that could work out as well. But uh, it's just an adjustment period. All of us are adjusting to, you know, the new regime and they're, you know, they're, uh, 
the way that they do things, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, you know, and tomorrow morning we'll be out there bright and early. I think Josh McDaniels is going to talk at, what, 8.05? I think that's the time, so we're going to be out there super early. I, it's so funny. We got a, I got a tweet this morning. I don't know if you were on that tweet as well, but I got a tweet this morning saying, Q, did you, meet, did you beat the morning tailgate into, into the facility? Remember, we were talking about that on yesterday's show, that we knew that there was going to be so many media members that I was going to have to get there super early before the morning tailgate, and they broadcasted live starting at 7 o'clock. And, no, I didn't beat them in, but this is the reason why I didn't beat them in. And got to shout out to Will Kiss and, and, and Cam over there at the, uh, with the Raiders. They actually put, they put name tags on the seats for us. So, so they, yeah, they, hey, man, they took it to the next level, man. They put name tags on the seats. So uh, Vinny had, had taken a picture and tweeted it, or not tweeted it, but sent it to us. It was like, hey, uh, shout out to Cam and, and Will. They got uh, they got name tags on the on your spots, and I was like, oh hell yeah! So uh, instead of getting there at like six or six thirty, like I planned on, I was I think I got there about seven about seven fifteen. So that's still super early. Saying that Bill Belichick didn't talk till about eight thirty, uh, and I did go out there and talk to or you know talk to Coach Belichick. I even asked him a question about Deron Harmon, and then was there for practice as well for the Raiders. So uh, we recovered, man. We had it covered like a glove. So. Uh, it was it was fun to be out there, and it was fun to get an opportunity to talk to Coach Belichick because, I mean, hell, it's Coach Belichick, right? Yeah, and, I got to ask. I know we're going to play some of the sound later, yeah. but is that like a bucket list moment? For me, that would be for not like it's like a full yeah. one-on-one interview, right. but just for me to get the experience of this is a Bill Belichick presser. Let's see how much he's going to give anybody on an answer. Right, and you know, it's funny. We actually saw him smile about two or three times. Uh, but he's very, as you know, because you have the sound, it's, he's very kind of monotone. He doesn't change his, you know, inflection in his voice or anything. Um, and it's so funny because the New England, the, the people that, that usher him in and, and say, like the PR people, like, like we have Will and Cam, they'll say, hey, coach is on the way or, hey, Derek Carr is on the way or whatever like that. Just kind of give us a two-minute warning or whatever. Well, there was the people from the New England media, the PR uh, folks that were like, hey, hey. Bill's on his way. Bill, like almost like it was a secret and everything. I looked around and I was like, "Is Jesus about to land? What's going on?" <laughs> secret service. <laughs> yeah, like is it, like I kept. I was waiting for him just to like levitate or something. Like, is he going to come in here just floating in instead of walking in? And it, it was just really funny. And you know, it's 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 obviously you know they're used to one thing, we're used to another thing. So it's just you get to see how other folks operate. And uh, I thought he was pretty cool. You know, I, I thought that he was very generous with the time, gave us probably, I think, about 15 good minutes of, of, of time and answered questions for both the New England media and us as well. So, I mean, he could have kind of looked at us and been like, what y'all want? <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and there was even a couple times where there was questions asked to him and he was just like, yeah, that's, that's not a big deal. It's, it, it is what it is, you know. And so I, I wanted to be very selective with my question because you don't want to be the person that, like, Bill Belichick clowns, and then you end up on, like, SportsCenter, right? Oh, here's a Bill Belichick responding to this dumbass question. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to be that guy. The so, not top ten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think about these things, man. You got to think about these things. That's real. Like, you don't want to be that guy, you know? And so uh, I just, you know, but I thought, I thought it was cool. And honestly, I wish that there was an opportunity, and I guess there is, but the way timing is, I would love to, in an ideal world, have a chance to talk to both head coaches following a football game and even do locker room for both both teams just because you get perspective from both sides, 
right? But obviously timing. I mean, you you know, you can't be in four places at one time. Now you can if you have multiple people that work for your radio station and they all participate and they all go into the locker room and they all do you know show up to coach. I mean, now if that's the case, if you got more guys that actually want to work and be out there and put in the work, then you can you can cover a lot of different bases. But that takes uh, that takes a. Uh, participation from everybody real quick because you said that and it made me immediately think after the bears game because i was in the visiting locker room yeah man that locker room was jumping right exactly see that and that's the thing about it and i remember one time when i was uh, at espn central texas and i was trying to cover i went to a texans game matter of fact john mcclain got me a credential and i went into the raiders locker room obviously because i wanted to do the the raiders locker room action so i went and did that but at the same time because i was there in central texas we had reason to be in the Texans locker room. So I went and just kind of split it up real quick, and I did both because, look, these are the guys that you, you have to go get. There are certain guys that we were focused in on. We'd always focus in on the Central Texas guys. So if I was at a Texans game, I'd go get the guys from the local area. Or if I was in Dallas, I'd go get the guys from the local area. But then I would also make a beeline to the other locker room. So I was basically on skates, man. I was just trying to trying to be that dude because nobody really wanted to cover an NFL game. They all were college guys. So like, ah, oh, no, we'll just go to Baylor or we'll go to UT or we'll go to, you know, A&M. And that's cool. Because that wasn't really my bag. So going to the NFL games was great for me. But it, it's like you have to have a bunch of people. When we would cover Baylor games, we would literally have, honestly, it'd be like five or six of us in the media session following the game. Because they would have a breakout session where it wouldn't be you would be in the locker room. They'd bring guys out and they'd say, okay, over here is Bryce Petty. Over here is Corey Coleman. Over here is so-and-so. And you just have to – Break out and get as many as you as you possibly can, but you can't get them all by yourself. So you have to have everyone just be like, "Hell, I'm gonna, I'm there. I got to do it." So that's what we would do. My proudest moment ever, and I know I'm totally off the Raiders conversation now, but that's okay. My proudest mem- moment ever was covering a Baylor. I did a pregame show for Baylor, and I did an interview. I did multiple interviews in the parking lot ahead of time as like a tailgate interview, sent it over to the producer in the studio. Then I sat in on the pregame show for Baylor. Then I left the pregame – or I left the uh, Baylor, drove about 45 minutes to uh, UMHB, Mary Harden Baylor, which is a D3 school, covered that football game, did the pre-show, the pregame show for that, covered the game afterwards, interviewed the coach afterwards, drove back to Baylor because Big 12 games last forever, drove back to Baylor, went into the locker or not the locker room, but went to the post game after that and was part of that breakout session. So I had both covered, even though the schools were super far away from each other, still handled it all, all in one Saturday afternoon. Just saying. That's extra effort there, DeMond. Yeah, man, hardest working man in sports entertainment. You got it. <laughs> you got the title. Nah, it was it, – hey, look, man. You know the deal. If you if you enjoy what you're doing, it, it ain't even working. It's just a lot of fun, man. So uh, that's what I did on a well, Saturday. Were you driving though? Hold on. Were you driving what you're driving now? Um, yeah, not the same, not the same make and model, but yes. Oh no, 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 no! Uh, I got to tell Nope. <laughs> you were working then, because to fill up that tank. That's a good point. That's a good point. Three twenty-eight to time. The next hardest working man in uh, sports entertainment I know, Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. He'll join us next here on Raider Nation Radio nine twenty. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Q. 3.30 is the time. My man Demond Cotton is efforting Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. He'll join us momentarily. Talk all things that he saw 
at Raiders Joint Practice with the Patriots. Day one, of course, they'll be back at it again tomorrow. Got a text from Fargo Raider on the Sam and Ash text line at 69187, keyword R&R. Third down defense. I believe the two keys for success this season are third down defense. We gave too many teams life by allowing third down conversions and committing penalties. Third down mental errors on offense. Too many drives were cut short because of pre-snap penalties. Just win, baby. That's from Fargo Raider. That's going back to that attention to detail. And you're right. Third and long. When, when you got the team at third and long, you've got to find a way to get off the field. Simple as that. And you can't. If they make a good play, they just make a good play like you saw uh, the Raiders in that game against Minnesota. Nick Mullins came up with a big play on third and like 19. He ended up with 18 yards on a nice pass play. They went for it on fourth and one and picked it up. If something like that happens every once in a while, you just tip your cap and say that's a better play. I mean, it's just that simple. If that happens every once in a while, fine. But if it's third and long and they pick up three yards and then you hit a guy late and you get a personal foul penalty and then all of a sudden that's a first down – or you do something like jump off sides and give them five, five yards on third and three, then that's already a first down. That, that kind of stuff can't happen. Those are the kind of things you have to eliminate. Again, if you just get beat on, by a better play or a better player, then you, you can live with that. It's just all the pre-snap stuff. It's all the stuff that you bring on yourself, undisciplined stuff, hitting guys out of bounds, um, you know, hitting the quarterback late. Sometimes, I don't care how fast you're going, you just got to pull up. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much you want to drill that quarterback or how close it might be or how stupid the rule might be because it is. And it doesn't really allow for defenders to be a defender a lot of times. There's like a bubble shield around the quarterback. But you have to know that. If I know that, you know that, right? So you have to know that you can't go in there 100 miles an hour and decide you're going to blow the quarterback up on a play that's going to be critical and give them new life. Because more times than not, that quarterback's going to get back up, get a new set of downs, drive right down the field and score a touchdown. And you're going to look and say, what in the world just happened? Right? That's the kind of stuff. So Fargo, you bring up a great point right there. And that's the kind of stuff, as we talked to Zach Cox from Nesson earlier, that's the kind of things that Josh McDaniels and company are really focusing in on, making sure that that doesn't happen. Those kind of things. That's called not not beating yourselves, making the other team, force the other team to beat you. So, uh, again, we're trying to effort Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. Uh, DeMond's in the home studio trying to make that happen. But uh, great text, Fargo. Definitely appreciate you. Geese said, my two keys to the upcoming Raiders season, one, be top 10 in red zone efficiency, and two, be top 10 in the league for the least amount of penalties. Turn around those two things, and I guarantee that we set ourselves up for a deep playoff run this year. And that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty much what we've been talking about, right? I mean, my keys were red zone efficiency and turnovers. I, just, I, I keep going back to turnovers. We had a whole show about turnovers last week, and I just keep going back to that has to, that has to improve. That's got to be a lot better. Because think about this. Remember in 2016 when the Raiders did make the playoffs? And that's, of course, that's what we always go back to, right? It's 2016. Their defense wasn't that great. But you know what they were really good at? They created turnovers. They created turnovers at, at perfect time, and they were able to steal possessions. Because if you go back and look statistically, their numbers weren't fantastic. You know what I mean? They, they, weren't, they weren't just some shutdown defense, but they came up with big plays when they needed to. How many times did you see a strip sack, fumble recovery, Reggie Nelson with the interception in the end zone? Or, you know, you saw guys like that. And, and I brought up Reggie Nelson the other day. He was a guy that got burned a lot. 
But he still came up with plays. He had, what, five interceptions that year? I mean, it's just – it's you got it. Sometimes you live you live and die by by the turnover. But that year in 2016, the Raiders created a bunch of turnovers, and that helped them out in a major way. So you've got to be able to find a way to force turnovers. If you do that, you're gonna be you're gonna be in a good in a good path. Of course, there's other elements to the game. I'm not just saying those are the two only two, but I think with Josh McDaniels knowing offenses like he does, knowing how to manipulate defenses, knowing when he sees one look, like Eric Allen told me today, Q, he's got something for that. When he sees that look, he's got, he's got a play for that. In that playbook, he's got something for that. It's up to the team to go out there and execute it correctly, but he's got something that's going to beat everything that's going to be thrown at him. Does that mean that they're going to be 100% in the red zone? No, hell no. That's never going to be the case. But I do expect them to be a lot better in the red zone than they were a year ago, a couple years ago. I mean, the, the past... I don't know, a handful of years. You have Darren Waller, who has the size where sometimes, and I heard JT uh, the Brick say this earlier today, sometimes you just got to trust and throw a 50-50 ball. Hey, you know what? I'm going to trust 83 to be better than the guy that's defending him. Hey, I'm going to trust 17 to be better than the guy defending him. I'm going to trust the Mac Hollins. I'm going to trust number 10. I'm going to trust 13. Sometimes you just got to take that chance. That's going to be on DC to do that. What I'm seeing from him in practice is I'm seeing a guy who looks pretty confident in throwing the ball to any of those guys. I really do. Again, it's only practice. doesn't mean that that's what's going to happen in a game. But I don't think there's going to be any struggle. I don't think there'll be any problem with D.C. looking for 17 and throwing the rock his way. He looks very comfortable doing that, and I believe he'll be the same way with number 83 when it comes to Darren Waller. Joining us now on the phone lines from ESPN is our good friend Paul Gutierrez. And, Paul, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. As far as... Joint practice number one, I, I, I came into the show saying I feel like the Raiders, and I say this in air quotes, won the practice today because obviously wins and losses don't matter. But I felt like that they had the better day than, than the Patriots. What were your thoughts when you saw practice? <laughs> I guess he's not there. <laughs> we talked about before we got on, it was like, yeah, I'm just trying to find a good spot, you know, terrible service out here. It's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. I can hear you just fine. Joke's on me. (laughs) He must have turned the wrong corner. Hey, man, he took a left when he should have gone right. (laughs) Oh, man, good times. Well, when he joins us, when he gets back on, let me know. Oh, man, good stuff for uh, live radio. That's how we do it, right? All of a sudden, I I get this great question, have it all teed up, and then you hear dial tone. Man, cold game. So it used to happen to me back in the day when I used to call some random girl dial tone. <laughs> Sorry, Q. No answer. No hablo inglés. Nobody's home. <laughs> you gets no call. I could appreciate that. It's all right. Paul will join us in a matter of minutes when he finds a good spot. At least we know that he's uh, looking for a good spot to post up. Uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, getting back to the Raiders offense in the red zone and what they'll be looking for moving forward and how they'll operate moving forward. Uh, just think that, okay, <laughs> you want me to take a quick break? All right, DeMond said take a quick break, so I'm going to go ahead and do what my man tells me to do. 3.38 is the time. We'll take a quick break. We'll reset. We'll come back, see what we got. This is Red Nation Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Q. Got a tweet from Raiderette T. She said, at your boy Q254, he's dodging you like a debt collector. 
talking about Paul Gutierrez. He's not dodging us. He's actually on the phone lines with us now from ESPN, our good friend Paul Gutierrez. And, Paul, thanks so much for your time this afternoon, my man. And, hey, man, struggles happen sometimes. Live radio happens, but we definitely appreciate you joining the show. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize I owed you lunch, man, or money or something. But, yeah, I'm just standing out here. You know, it's 96 degrees in the shade, like NGD said at the beginning of their song. But uh, back to the hotel. No, anyway. Yeah, hey. man, I don't know what's going on, on my phone. It was, it was it was working, then it wasn't, then it was working. So, yeah, different phone number. I'm here. I'm with you. What's up? Hey, man, it happens, and I definitely appreciate you with your effort. Uh, what did you think about the Raiders' effort this afternoon? I, I came into the show, and I said in air quotes that the Raiders won today's practice. Of course, wins and losses obviously don't matter, but felt like yeah. that they looked really pretty good against the, the Patriots today. From what we could see, yes. Now, when they were when the Raider offense was working on the field directly in front of us, it did look like the Raider offense was getting the better of the Patriot defense, especially those one on ones with the receivers. And and you know, for for lack of a better term, it looked like the Raiders had been practicing uh, together as a unit for a week more than the Patriots, which is the case, right? Yeah. So it, it they look good when they moved to that middle field, and and we couldn't see anything. I mean, you could see the ball go up, and then you look, you know, okay, well, I guess seventeen came down with it. Right. Good. I guess that's a win. So from that perspective, it did look the Raiders look crisp. They look like they won, and Derek kind of let a little little uh, hint out when he said, "We know who won the rep." So you know, I, I wanted to ask him, "Well, who won the practice today?" But you know, you're not going to get that kind of answer you want out of there. Right. But the, the Raiders look pretty good, and, and the fact that um, it looked it looked more like like Belichick and, and uh, Josh McDaniels know each other, which we all know they do, because there wasn't a lot of trash talking. There's a little bit when special teams are going, but. It looked like, as Derek said, they were they were taking care of each other out there. Um, and you're used to seeing fights in these things. So if a fight's going to happen, I think it's going to be tomorrow if these guys say, you know what, it's too hot, let's end this thing, let's get in a fight. Yeah, it's funny, when we were talking to Max, he, he kind of you know alluded to maybe there was something brewing that we never saw really uh, come to fruition, but it kind of seemed like there was a little something-something going on, according to Max. It has to be. How can there not be? I mean, when, <laughs> when you're finally, especially from the Raider perspective, when you're finally hitting somebody – when you're a Raider starter, let's put it that way, you're hitting somebody that's wearing a different helmet. Okay, now, now, now things are real. It's 105 degrees outside. The Patriots, you know, aren't used to that. Uh, the Raiders are. And, and, and it's football. Things are going to happen. Things are going to get chippy. So maybe it happened after they escorted us off the field because there's like, what, that 10-minute period when we're yeah. off the field and they keep practicing. So maybe something happened there. But I don't know if you were in Thousand Oaks last year when the Raiders and Rams got into it on both days and the second day was just a, a near riot and they just ended the whole thing. Um, I don't know if something like that's going to happen, but but again, the Patriots have already done it too, right? They were brawling with the Panthers last week, so they know what it looks like and what it feels like. Right, yeah. No, I wasn't there uh, in L.A. to see that, but I remember hearing about it. I remember how everything got got cut down short because it was just way too much of it. So I'm hoping just to see a, a really good crisp day of practice tomorrow for day two. But what questions in these two days of joint practices, what questions do you think that the Raiders need to answer? Uh, who their starting offensive line is. And I saw somebody tweet at you to hit me up about what my tweet was about. And, and some people did tweet out what we're not supposed to, right? But whatever. I mean, we saw, <laughs> we saw who was out there. Yeah, we saw who was out there. Does that mean that's the starting offensive line? Well, I think it means that's the starting offensive line today. Right. Um, I'm still not convinced, as I'm doing my 53-man projection, I'm still not convinced that the starting right tackle was on this team because it's a weird, it's a weird dynam- dynamic right now, right, with Alex Leatherwood. Yep. Because in my opinion, where we're at right now with Alex, and I'm not trying to speak for him or get in his head or anything, but unless he's starting, you really do kind of shatter his confidence a little bit right now. And then what good is a shattered confidence swing tackle if Colton Miller goes down? 
right. even worse. So unless he's starting, I don't know how he fits. I'm not saying they're going to cut him. I'm not saying he doesn't have a place on his team, but it is interesting to me that that, to me, is where the fulcrum of this entire offensive line rests is on his confidence and where he fits in. Because if a, a, a guy, a Leatherwood with no confidence, doesn't really fit on this offensive line right here and right now. Again, not trying to speak for him, get in his head or anything like that, but there were some things we saw today that were very, very telling. Yeah, and I've been talking about Leatherwood and his confidence for a while now, and uh, he's got to be that ultimate guy. He's got to be the guy he was at Alabama when he felt like he was the best dude on the field, right? I mean, and I guess when you're playing at Alabama, you have that feeling because, well, you probably are the best dude on the field, but in the NFL, yeah. it's a different ball game. So, Paul, let me ask you this. We've seen a lot throughout the course of training camp and the preseason from Jermaine and Luminor playing multiple different positions. What have you seen from him in general? Do you think that there may be a starting spot for him on this line? I think there is, but I also think, you know, and there I go again with the think. Uh, I believe that his his best attribute and the way he could help that offensive line out the most is as a swing tackle. Right. And that's obviously everybody wants to start. You, you, you go out for a team, you want to start. You want to be the guy or the gal or whatever sport you're in. You want to be number one, and you get that. But you also have to do what's best for the team. And in my, you know, knowledge of watching this team for a while now and seeing what they're trying to do on the offensive line, Jermaine Elmanor, uh, and I keep mispronouncing his last name too. He uh, he to me seems to fit best as as a swing tackle. But what does that then mean for the right tackle position? Right. So there's just so many, you know, square pegs, round holes, trying to make it all work. And you know they have given up 13 sacks in the preseason, mind you. Colton Miller hasn't played, but the rest of these guys have. That's right. not a good look. That's not a good look, especially when you got all these weapons, you got all these toys and these shiny objects out there that Derek Harkin can play with, so to speak. Well, he can't play with them if he doesn't have time to find them. No, I agree 100%. Again, we're talking with Paul Gutierrez from ESPN here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. My man DeMond's got one for you. Yeah, Paul, speaking of the toys that Derek Carr has, Kenyon Drake, when he was released yesterday, that was a surprise to me because I thought he was a guy coming off of the injury was really, really going to be able to show to the Raiders what he had to offer. Were you surprised when he got released? A little bit more so because of how expensive it is against the salary cap. I mean, he, he takes a pretty big hit. I mean, he had a two-year, $11 million contract that was signed, and they uh, you know renegotiated it, so that's why they're going to take a hit next year as well. So to me, I thought that would be one of the saving graces for him, plus he's coming back from the injury. But he was out there, and he was playing, and he was playing in the preseason a lot. So when you see that, you think, hmm, something's not right here. Brandon Bolden is not taking a single snap in the preseason. Josh Jacobs, we were all kind of scratching our heads to figure out what that was about in the opener in the Hall of Fame game. So um, surprised in the terms of the financial hit that they're willing to take, if nothing else. And beyond that, I mean, Amir Abdullah should be on any team for his uh, double-kick, high-low, uh, roundhouse, twirl-kick <laughs> celebration that uh, got me going. He said it was a Tekken move. Uh, those kids on Cobra Kai would wish they could do a move like that. <laughs> you know what, Let me, Paul, real quick, you know, uh, when you talk about Brandon Bolden, he hasn't taken a snap in the preseason, but he's met with us like three or four times. I mean, I, to me, that kind of told me what they think of Brandon Bolden. And then where did he play last year? Oh, that's right. Yep. So he already knows right. the system. He knows the staff. But more importantly than that, the staff knows him. So that told me all I needed to know there. It, it's kind of surprising, almost as surprising as the Patriots having free reign of this facility here, but that's a different story for a different day, and I don't want to get myself in trouble. <laughs> all right, Paul, moving over to the defensive side of the ball. <laughs> Did you see anybody that stood out or impressed you? Because I know that you guys had limited sight, but from what you yeah. did see, who impressed you on the defensive side? 
couldn't. You know what? I, I'd be lying if I told you that somebody really stood out to me. I do know that Jayon Brown had an interception. Somebody yep. tweeted at me and said, no, he had two. I'm like, oh, well, and you've got a better view from your couch at home than I did because I know that that happened. Looking at a lot of the Patriots uh, beat writers and media types uh, Twitter feeds, I don't know where they were. I thought they were standing next to me, but they had a great view from wherever they were because they were breaking plays down. They were saying how terrible the Patriots offense looked, how good the Raider defense looked. Um, Jayon Brown, though, I think is a guy that, that really stood out because I saw his name go up quite a bit on Twitter feeds. And like I said, I do know, at least I'm pretty sure, based on reports, that he had an interception today. And that's always a good thing, right, especially for a linebacker. I saw a video of one of his interceptions. I don't know if he had multiple, but I saw a video of one, and it wasn't from any of us. It wasn't from a Patriots beat writer, so I don't really know how it got out there, but I did see a video of it somewhere on Twitter and slash Instagram. Uh, So, yeah, there's that. But, uh, Paul, as far as – Somebody somebody just got their ghetto pass revoked then because they're not supposed to be – they weren't – that was the thing. The line was there was not supposed to be any video taken of competition between Raiders and Patriots. And that was handed down from – the Patriot side of things. So, you know, if that video's out there, um, screen save it. Yeah, no, it's, defi- it's definitely out fans? there. <laughs> no, there was no fans. Oh, okay. I'm like, okay, never mind then. No, no. Yeah. I mean, there was like some family and that was it. So I don't I don't know who put it out there, but uh, I did yeah. see it earlier today because it surprised me. I was like, oh, Jayon Brown got an interception. That's, uh, that's yeah. cool to know, even though I'm here. <laughs> so yeah, Exactly. There's that. So, you know, I, I wanted to ask you more about the running back room, though, because, again, like DeMond said, Drake is gone. So, you know, Jacobs is there. You know, Bolden is there. Abdullah seems like he's made the team just based off the fact that he didn't travel to Miami. But then you still have Samir White. You still have Britton Brown is making a name for himself. Of course, Yak is going to make the team. Uh, he's the fullback. But where do you, how do you see this running back room shaking out? Yeah, I see four running backs and one fullback. And the fourth running back to me is Amir Abdullah. It's Amir White, okay. the traffic, so they're not going to get rid of him. Right. Uh, so you got Josh, you got Bolden, you got Zamir, and then to me it's either Abdullah or uh, Walter. And, you know, do you play back and forth? I mean, are they kind of the same running back? Not really. I mean, Walter's more of a scat back kind of a guy. But, you know, Abdullah has shown that he's a pass catching back out of the backfield. But then again, so is Brandon Bolden. But Brandon Bolden's a heck of a lot bigger, too. So, you know, my 53-man, you know, uh, teaser, sneak alert, whatever you want to call it, uh, I've got him <laughs> I've got him making my, my uh, 53-man of uh, four running backs and then one with Jakob Johnson as a fullback. There you go. And I'll just tell you this as a little uh, side note. Raiderette Tease just tweeted at both of us and sent us the video of uh, – of Jalen Brown having his second nice. interception. So there you go. It's on your Twitter account as well. Uh, I want to ask you about the wide receiver position because I feel like that that's pretty deep. It uh, looks like T. Billy, Matt Collins, they have a good opportunity to make this squad. But, you know, you got Keelan Cole out there. You got other guys out there. I mean, there's 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 some tough questions, I think, in that wide receiver room. How how do you see in that? And, and what is this week really big for any of those guys? I think it's big for Keelan Cole and DJ Turner. And to okay. me, if they go five receivers, it's between those two guys for that fifth spot. And whoever shows out more on special teams, whether it's as a gunner, a returner, whatever they can do to show themselves, hey, I deserve to be on this team, that is going to be key, in my opinion, uh, for how they make this team. And maybe they go six receivers. I don't know. But if you go five, it's pretty obvious who four of them are, I think. Uh, there I go again, I think. If they go five, you know who the four are, at least in my opinion, and then you yeah. go with the fifth. And it, it, to me, it's it's either of those two guys. And, and um, what, that's who I was paying attention to on special teams today to see who was getting run as a gunner because that is one of the most underrated yet uh, most highly valued 
by the football people in the know uh, positions in the game is Gunner. Speaking of uh, a, a gunner, and, and of course Matt Collins does a lot of great stuff on special teams, but he's got a big body, Paul. I mean, how much can he help the Raiders in the red zone? We know that Waller's going to be there. We know Renfro. We know yeah. Adams, obviously. But I feel like Hollins is going to have a bigger role in the red zone than we're even expecting right now. It, it reminds me a little bit of, I don't even know if you remember this guy, Andre Holmes. <laughs> uh, back in the back in the yes. day, and I used to call him Andre Orale Holmes because yeah. you know, he made a play. You wanted to stand up and go Orale Holmes. You know, he made the play. So he reminds me of that guy, but a little bit more athletic, if for lack of a better term. Uh, and you're right. I mean, red zone should be all about Darren Waller, but we haven't seen Darren Waller practice but once in the past what three weeks, right. four weeks almost. It's true. Um, I don't know if the Aces are playing today or not. I don't think so, but we don't know. <laughs> Darren wasn't on the field, right? But um, you know, he's handling his business. And, he, and it's his right to do that. But when they're on the field, Darren Waller should be the number one threat in the red zone. But but Matt Hollins, I mean, yeah, he's a, he's he's sneaky athletic. And I think we saw a little bit of that two years ago when he made that, that catch for the yes. Dolphins to, to beat the Raiders when Arden Key was ripping off Ryan Fitzpatrick's head. And he still made the completion to set that up. And that was what I think John Gruden said that was the worst play he's ever seen. And this is a guy who coached in the tuck rule game. So that tells you all you need to know. But Mac Hollins is sneaky, sneaky good, sneaky suspicious, and everybody says he's sneaky funny too. So uh, I think he's going to contribute a lot more than people are realizing as well. I don't know if I, you know, try and do a fantasy thing around him. Right. But uh, it is interesting. All right, final question for you, Paul, and this is something I've been really kind of uh, really pounding home at this point about turnovers, and I think the Raiders need to make sure that they really have a focus on turnovers this year. They've got to do, obviously, even in interceptions, a lot better than they did a year ago when they only had six. I think Deron Harmon is going to play a major role in helping the Raiders do just that, create a bunch of interceptions. What, what are your thoughts on Harmon, what he brings to the table? He's kind of like the Yoda of the secondary, uh, yep. you know, the kind of the, the spiritual leader back there, so to speak. And, you know, I'm not old enough to remember the Soul Patrol, but I do know what they stood for. And you had the different guys back there. And Willie Brown was the Yoda of the Soul Patrol when you had Willie, old man Willie and, and uh, Dr. Death and Hitman Atkinson and Assassin Tatum. You know, those guys spoke for themselves, so to speak. But you always needed that veteran, that wily veteran that kind of tells them, you know, where to be, what to do. Not necessarily how to play, but how not to play. And I think that's going to help Jonathan Abram a lot. Now, uh, whether his coverage skills improve or not, that's going to be solely upon him. But to be in the right place at the right time is more than half the battle, really. And I think with Jerron Harmon's experience, um, kind of knowing this system a little bit as well, it's going to pay off in that way as well. I, I don't know if he's going to get a lot of snaps out there, but I do know that he's going to have a huge impression on that secondary and uh, I know you always ask me what I'm working on next, and I think I just gave you a tease. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! All right, Paul, but I had to ask you one last one because you mentioned Cobra Kai. Are you all in for the new season? Oh, dude, I'm all in. And the fact that that, uh, that uh, Chosen is coming back to help Daniel and, you know, dude, I'll, I'll just let you know this. The actor who plays Chosen, Yuji, uh, he follows me on Twitter and on Instagram. We DM back and forth. He was on my wife's IG live show last year, and uh, Yuji is a card-carrying member of Raider Nation. All uh, right, look at Paul. So there you go. Chosen is a Raider fan. You guys do realize I have absolutely no clue what you guys are talking about whatsoever. Well, you and Hondo need to sit down and watch. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't have time for all this, Paul. It's all sports. I got to I, I get Hondo, riding. Hey, Hondo knows everything. What are you talking about? That's true. Hondo knows a little bit of everything. He is the uh, <laughs> he is the Yoda. He's the Yoda of the media room. <laughs> all right, Paul. Well, I appreciate you, my man. You already gave me a little bit of a tease. I'll see you out there bright and early tomorrow morning in the media room. Sounds good, man. All right, there he goes. Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. Great stuff as always. Uh, I guess me and Hondo got to sit down and uh, watch some watch some uh, some flicks together or something. Cobra Kai, the spinoff, the sequel, Karate Kid. I know I you watched Karate Kid when you were younger, though, right? I mean, yeah, when I was like a, a tiny kid. Don't you want to know what they're doing 30 years later? No, Daniel's son is not Daniel's son anymore. Daniel's son is just playing Daniel, right? I mean, he's grown with a family now, probably. Yes, he is. <laughs> See? And that's where the... Who else? He's got to teach his kids the ways, Q. Oh, man. Boom. Man, I don't know about all that, man. Just because uh, just because Pops does something don't mean that uh, the kid's going to do it. You know what I mean? Just saying. I think I think Daniel, I think Daniel's grown up with a family. He's probably got someone, uh, you know, someone bugging him for money all the time, you know, trying to get him to do this, that, and the other. You sure you haven't watched the show? No, I haven't. <laughs> He's probably paying some child support somewhere else. I mean, he's probably guy. He's probably doing bad, man. <laughs> Just saying, he's probably doing bad. Three fifty-seven is the time. Many thanks to Paul for joining us. Of course, I'll catch up with Paul tomorrow at the facility as the Raiders and the Patriots square up for joint practice number two. Coming up next, we'll kick off hour number three of the show. Coach Quincy Burtz from Canyon Spring High School. He is the Tom Flores High School Football Coach of the Week. We'll talk to him about his team's victory and what it means to win the award in week one of the high school football season. This is Raider Nation Radio 920.